0: Oh, can you get that? See who
1: it is. Hello, Manpeg Towers, Studio 9.
0: Hello, this is your pre-booked automated podcast disclaimer. Please do not hang up until this recording has finished.
2: It's the disclaimer. Oh, smashing.
0: Your automated podcast disclaimer is a short section of legally advisable preamble to be played at the beginning of your podcast, your web series, or your audio presentation. It's, it's doing the thing, you know. Your automated podcast disclaimer should be used when a live presenter or in program warning is either not practical, possible or desirable. It's thorough. I'll give it that. Your automated podcast disclaimer should be played at the start of the program before any of the affected content is broadcast. This preemptiveness is a valuable tool in washing your hands of tucking complaints or legal prosecution. Any second now. Your automated podcast disclaimer is not a guarantee against any of these reactions to questionable programming, and the automated podcast disclaimer service offers no guarantees against guarantees. But it's still a good idea to run one of these, just to give people a heads up. For the love of God. So, your automated podcast disclaimer is about to begin. Please place the handset of your telephonic device against the microphone or audio input of your recording or broadcasting equipment. Are you ready?
1: I've been for about the last half hour, but...
0: Your automated podcast disclaimer will begin in 3, 2, 1. Mind the swearing in this, although they are on the drink as well, so I imagine it's to be expected. Still, no need. Podcast
1: In the comics, the human protagonist was called Buster Witwicky rather than Spike in the cartoons It's called what, sorry? It's Buster Witwicky
2: What's going on here with this?
1: <laughs> with what? You, you would think that a planet of robots constructed by robots it would be a little more um, ergonomic because yes. during the chase sequence, there seems to be an awful lot of elevated roadways which have 90 degree turns in them for precisely no reason other than using more materials to construct. <laughs> Skywarp turns the taps on, fills them with oil, then Thundercracker squashes them flat. Starscream just watches this happening, not lifting a finger like the knacker is.
2: Hang on, stop. Thundercracker? Thundercracker. What the fucking hell's going on here? Fucking thundercracker, yes. you have to laugh EXIT STAGE LEFT Are you alright? Hello and welcome to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour I'm Dr Velvet I'm Blackout And we're here, because the studio tape deck is bust, and we can't use our Sinclair Spectrum home computer system.
1: Yes, hello to you. Thanks for looking in on our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes, you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we haven't covered your favourite sitcom yet. Before we wake up in room and ruin surroundings, before immediately starting back on the sort of behaviour which landed us in this mess in the first place, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking?
2: Sainsbury's Bitter, own brand. Oh dear. This looks and tastes like it should be served in a trough with channel blocks <laughs> for garnish.
1: You? <laughs> I've got a bottle of <laughs> NZPA by the Whitehorse Brewery in Oxfordshire. NZPA, what does yeah. that stand for, do we know I'm assuming it's New Zealand Pale Ale, but it doesn't say on the bottle. It doesn't explain what it is. I could look on the website, or the, uh, the White Horse Brewery in Oxfordshire could tell me what it is when they send us a, a credit of it. That's, that's,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. That's We don't
1: like to be pushed. NZPA by the White Horse Brewery in Oxfordshire.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, while they're thinking about doing that, on to the first show of the night. And on we go to a literal giant of a franchise in the 1980s, featuring characters that made you question the very nature of every electronic device in your house. If you heard, you knew that your microwave could be a Decepticon, and you were in the shit. <coughs>
1: The Transformers was a 1984 animated series from Marvel and Sunbro Productions and Toei Animation, created to accent Hasbro's ownership of the toy line of the same name. Although it would later branch off into multiple series, reboots and even live action, the original G1 run lasted for 98 episodes over four seasons. The series centres around a good versus evil battle between two tribes of robots, finding themselves stranded on Earth while they fight for supremacy and to save or enslave the humans, depending on which side you're talking about we watched the very first episode, More Than Meets the Eye, written by Henry Orenstein and George Bloom, directed by George Gibbs, in which the Autobots and Decepticons land on Earth and begin knocking seven shades of shit out of each other. This originally aired in the UK, split up into three seven-minute chunks and padding out mornings on TVAM in 1985. Well, ITV didn't have Selena Scott, so they had to get their view and figure from somewhere, I suppose.
2: I've got to be careful where I tread here. Because I distinctly remember, of course... The first time I have visited your house in 1984, exactly in Uh 1984, Uh um, standing next to the copious amounts of Star Wars figures that you had, you also had Transformers figures.
1: By that point, yeah, quite a. I've said before, but Transformers definitely filled the hole left by Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. I was never a fan. Okay, I was never a fan of this. I first got a whiff of these. When, as you correctly said, they were on TVAM and they were cut up into tiny little pieces, these episodes. Tiny little pieces. Yes. And to me, this was, well, for me rather, this was a shambles of a storyline because if you tried to follow that each day but happened to miss one because you'd slept in or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you missed an important chunk of the episode, and it was inconsistent, and that was no good to me. That absolutely no good to me, and it was chaos. I looked at this every time I tried to tune in and make the effort. Yeah, what's going on here? I don't know what's going on. Oh nah, yeah, it's I not feel... even.
1: It's not even like you could sit down and watch an entire episode. This is you know? my
2: problem. <laughs> I might have been a massive fan of these had that not ruined it. Why it didn't get a, de- a more decent
1: now, slot? I fucking love this cartoon, but. Importantly, it was never my go-to for Transformers lore. Now, Marvel had started printing the comics in the UK in September 1984. Mm-hmm. In the comics, the human protagonist was called Buster Witwicky, rather than Spike in the cartoons. Was called what, sorry? Buster Witwicky. What's going on here with this? What, with what? With, with that name. That's <laughs> anyway, go on. Um... So the comics and the cartoons followed broadly the same path, obviously since the Transformer characters are the same. But the comics were able to throw in shitloads more backstory detail and exposition. Um, so by the time the cartoon started on TVAM, I already had a head full of canon that the telly wasn't quite matching up with. Most importantly, we didn't have a video in 1984. So the only way I could relive these shows was by sitting next to the telly with a tape recorder and making my own audio cassettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that a bit. But like yourself, I didn't catch all of them. I couldn't catch all of them. Some days I'd miss right. entirely. Yep. Whereas I've got a pile of comics upstairs, I can delve into them anytime I want.
2: Okay, so okay. I get I I'm get it. not I get too
1: it. worried about the TV storyline here.
2: You were recording Transformers, I was recording theme tunes. Yeah, that's fair. In particular, Finders Keepers with Richard Stilgall Finders Keepers, Losers Weepers, bow bow. But you had the comics to refer to, right? I never had that, didn't even know there was a comic. When I did see the comic, but you
1: didn't have the richest still go comics.
2: No, no you. Uh, the, there was only four printed. Ah, oh, right. I always go to the theme tune. It's not a bad theme tune. This the start is great. They need to turn up the guitar. Yes, that, that little guitar solo needs to be right out there. Why is it? Why is it right down?
1: Why is it right down? They need to crank that up. Make the whole thing a bit more metal and. Drop the vocal line. I, you know, I love Transformers. I don't like the singing over it. It's just like we know. We know it's called Transformers, but we can see it. You don't have to say it. But it's but...
2: important, especially when we get to this bit.
1: Autobots, please, to the evil of the
2: What's that about? That's weak as what, as Mrs. Slocum would say, weak as water. It,
1: yes. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. We're going to get letters about this.
2: Well, maybe. <laughs> Uh, We'll get letters about this as well, because here we go. We go into the episode, and it's clunky animation time again, folks. Oh, yes, it is. Um, However, it is an action-packed start to the story. Oh, it is. We're given all the exposition via narration Mm -hmm. to set the scene, and because of that, there's no buggering about. We don't have to have an overly long, drawn-out storyline. No, we're away.
1: Yep, absolute fucking hell on, on Cybertron. I'm happy with this. Now...
2: You collected the toys for this, as I've previously mentioned. Yeah. I must admit, when I did see little bits and pieces of the cartoon back in the day, obviously, we'd get the subsequent adverts for the merch. I really wanted Optimus Prime,
1: because Optimus Prime just... What a cool toy. It has to be said, for all that, like, the actual engineering behind the toys is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though the robots, much in the same as the cartoon do look like they've been repurposed from Earth vehicles, which apparently won't exist for millions of years on a different planet. Fine, whatever. Um, they do look far cooler in the cartoon because they can, like, pose properly, and you know, like Megatron's flares are just fucking amazing. Um, whereas the toys are a little bit more clunky because you are constrained by... What you can do with plastic and pins—that's fine, you know. Yes, yeah,
2: yeah. I've seen some undercover footage from um, from a meeting, from a merch meeting, and uh, they asked if they could make the toys as clunky as the animation. Uh, so job done. Yeah. So <laughs> I wanted, I wanted Optimus Prime. Yeah. I wanted Bumblebee. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted Commode. Um I know he was really hard to get. huh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've seen him on eBay. Uh, going for stupid money, but I've never been able to track down Commode yep. for a decent price. But yeah, you're not anyway. going to be
1: able to. Again, they didn't make very many of them, just because of the letter writing campaign that started in America. Out because of, right. but yeah,
2: okay. If you look well, in the
1: 1985 Argos catalogue, right, which is available online, there's a link in the show notes. Um, yeah, yeah. Optimus Prime there is 13 pounds 95. Even which isn't for the, it, bad for the it, day. Yeah, even for 1985, it sort of feels like cheap. Now it sounds cheap until you bear in mind that a pint cost around 77p. So,
2: mm.
1: if you're to go, not uh, usually my go-to is like the Bank of England inflation calculator. Um, it, in which case, it comes out at, like 35 quid, which is still a really bit expensive. But Yeah, again, I for think... you know, for the amount of workmanship that's gone in it, you can see where your money's gone. That's fine. But in terms of like cost of optimus prime versus the cost of a pint that would be the equivalent of about 73 pounds by now yeah 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 yeah, absolutely and yeah, that, if that you oh, if you also keep in mind that the new lego optimus prime set retails at 150 quid right seems oddly realistic i mean you know it, yeah yeah it
2: does <laughs> i remember paying one pound 29 for my yoda figure right in 1984 oh god that would figure i'm which i've still got instead yeah yeah there's some good dialogue in this in this little episode here. Uh, It's like a carry-on film in parts. Yes. Hang on to your (laughs) crankshaft.
1: It's nice. Yeah, speaking of all of that kind of thing, Mm. why is Wheeljack called Wheeljack when he's on Cybertron, when none of them have wheels? Right. You you would think that a planet of robots constructed by robots, it would be a little more um, ergonomic. Because yes. during the chase sequence, there seems to be an awful lot of elevated roadways which have 90-degree turns in them for precisely no reason other than using more materials to construct.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Keeping the economy going?
1: I suppose. Um, and I love also as well on Cybertron, Soundwave's only use was disguising himself as a lamppost. Soundwave. Sa- Soundwave. Sa- Soundwave. is very cool.
2: Him with the cassette, I, I always knew him as. Him with the yes. cassette. yep. His voice. What I I loved about him
1: is that the cassettes were the same size as mini audio cassettes.
2: You had that figure. I I had the figure. I didn't have
1: a mini audio. I didn't have a mini cassette player. I always wanted one of them, just so I could put the little transformers in with the tapes and try and fool someone. Right. So even though it wasn't really your thing, did you have a favorite transformer?
2: Well, Optimus Prime. Right. Well, not not just one. It was Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Commod. It is. Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Commode, Soundwave, and Megatron. Because I love the fact that Megatron turned into a gun. Right. And he was fucking useless after that. He required somebody else's assistance to be
1: <laughs> a threat. This is the bizarre thing. It's like the Decepticons should be cooler than they are. They're the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the Galactic Empire, they're cool. And the Decepticons are like, they're a little bit too sort of snidey and weak willed and self servant to really be as cool as they should be. So again, I love Soundwave, but in my head, there's like a constant, even all these years later, a constant ongoing sort of battle over who's your, who's your favourite Transformer though. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. well, is it Jazz, who's like the uh, the white Martini Stripe Porsche 935? He's like super fucking cool. Voiced by Scatman Crothers. He's <laughs> cool as fuck.
2: Hong Kong fooey,
1: Yeah. Or is it Trax, who came in a bit later, but he's the blue uh, Corvette Stingray? Also an mm-hmm. autobot, but then the other part of my brain leans in and reminds me that there was a dino-bot called Slag, and that's just the fucking best. Boom. There we go.
2: None of them beat Soundwave's voice. Correct. talking like that... Mint. Mint.
1: <laughs> we can do all the sounds here. Going back to the story... Well, before we even get to that, we, we open on Cybertron where it's all kicking off at the, at the start, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. The narration tells us that it's many millions of years ago. Keep that in mind, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the Autobots are essentially beaten at this point. They're on the verge of defeat and or extinction. Mm. Bumblebee and Wheeljack, they're out stealing energy rods from the authorities. Basically, just to get enough energy together to fuck off and leave the planet. They are the proper underdogs in this.
2: They are. We leave Cybertron. Uh Uh-huh. And the Decepticons decide to, to get in hot pursuit.
1: And I think they're trying to remain, like, on the quiet. Yeah, considering there's, like, a massive energy shortage going on in this cartoon, mm. there's a lot of fuel being burned here.
2: A lot of fuel? Well, they're three yards behind yeah. the the Autobot <laughs> ship. So how the Autobots haven't clicked, but they're not the brightest tool in the box, mind. Absolutely not. No, no, no absolutely. They encounter a meteor shower. They do. Which looks like arse gravy, this. <laughs> it's absolute bollocks. This is horrendous animation, this. This is fucking awful. <gasps> well, bear
1: in mind the meteor shower only occurs because two giant asteroids collide literally in front of the ship as it's driving yep. towards them, and you're like, okay. I mean, yeah, all right. You know what, mate? They've got to collide at some point. I get that. And you just happen mm-hmm. to be there then, but yeah, fine. Let's let us go with this, Optimus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've um, they've decided to belt off Cybertron and go and find more energy on another planet somewhere. Which I think is translated as, yay, colonialism! They crash land on Earth. Oh, before that, the Decepticons board the Autobot ship. Race of, like, advanced robots. who can, like, do anything. They can change into vehicles. They've built a a mechanised planet. And what do they do? They literally punch each other. Yes. There we go. Yes, they
2: do. Boom. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of that in this programme. Robots Mm -hmm. punching each other. I admire it for that. That's fine. (laughs) Mm.
2: So they crash land on what we find out is Earth.
1: Yeah, how does this happen? I don't know. How long has this been going on for? Because there's not a fucking hyperdrive engaged that we've seen. It's probably happened when the adverts
2: are on. Right. And let's face it, they'd have plenty of options to do that because there's so many ad breaks in this (laughs) that it's incredible. You just, you know, three lines are said and then you hear this.
0: The Transformers will return after these messages. We now return to the Transformers.
2: Which is very, very annoying when you're just getting into the story. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Anyway.
1: So we come back from the break. Volcano exterior shot. We get a couple of transitions Mm. to show time passing.
2: It's not even the Space Sentinels, but there we are.
1: Then we get a caption. Four million years later. So earlier, when Victor Caroli, the narrator, was like, many millions of years ago, he meant four. He did. Hey, Victor, how many seasons are there? Mm. Oh, many. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking hell.
2: Yeah, so four million... What's happening here now with this four million years later? What's happening? I'll tell you what happens. We don't need to worry because we're here. Repair. Repair. (laughs) Explore. Explore. What's going on?
1: There's two trains of thought here, but let's do the cartoon first. The Ark has revived the Decepticons because it's a machine and it can't make value judgments, which is a moment for us all to look into the camera. (laughs) <laughs> the cartoon that we're watching um and then yeah we see the Decepticons they get up they fix wait, the rest of them wait
2: wait wait I've got a question huh? why is that satellite waited four million years to venture out of its little box
1: right we'll go on to the other timeline which is the comics shortly mm. after the arc originally crashed shockwave this comes out about seven or eight issues into the comics. Shockwave also travels to Earth trying to find the Decepticons. He lands on Earth in the Antarctic, or in the Arctic, one of the two. The Ark picks this up, and it's like, right, I need to send someone out to fight Shockwave. Ah, uh, uh. It basically sends out a little scout. It looks around okay. for the dominant species on the planet. It sees dinosaurs, and the Ark mm-hmm. goes, right, I'm going to make robots that turn into these so they can pass undetected. It makes the right. Dinobots. The Dinobots go out. They kick fuck out of Shockwave. Then they get caught in a tar pit, and they're basically in stasis until they're revived by the Autobots in the mid-1980s. That's fine.
2: There you go. There you go. In
1: this version of the timeline, mm-hmm. fuck all has happened for four million years. There we go.
2: Right. Right.
1: When you get about seven episodes on, in the back of the cave where the Autobots are, mm-hmm. they discover some fossils of dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. And Witwick is there, and he's just like, oh, they're dinosaurs. The Transformers literally go to a museum and then the Autobots decide to make some Dinobots because they're bored, they go fucking berserk, then they get sealed up in a cave. Right. This is why I prefer my continuity from the comics. It sort of makes a bit more sense.
2: With you all the way. <laughs> I haven't a clue, and I'm with you all the way. Yeah, but again, yeah. okay.
1: an Autobot called Slag. That's all I'm saying. Mint. So anyway, yeah, we see seven Decepticons flying out of the ark. That's not including the little ones, which Soundwave makes out of his tapes.
2: I have another question. Hmm. they wake up and they've got the Autobots lying around them so that the Decepticons reassemble themselves they do what they have to do yep. why didn't they just take a fucking hammer of the Autobots and yep. clear them there yep. and then gone yep. yep. there'd be no series yes Correct. of course but <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah but, they're not that evil I mean. they're just a bit shit yes
2: <laughs> you'd melt them down man anyway
1: yeah but again you see we see here this is what the Ark does it sends out this scout it goes what are the things on the planet what do we need to disguise ourselves are It sees cars, it sees trucks, it sees planes. He goes, they must be the people. Fine, I'll make the robots turn into them. You're like, it's probably a good job that the the size of the robots roughly matches the size of these things that you see driving around, isn't it? Until you get to a handgun and a cassette recorder. Well done, lads. Right. So anyway, the Autobots are all up and running. That happens off screen.
0: The Transformers will return after these messages. We now return to the Transformers.
1: And Prime is like, well, the Decepticons are clearly going to plot to knacker this entire planet. Therefore, the rest of our existence will be spent stopping them. And the rest of the Autobots are like, mate, can you never take a fucking day off? We've only just got here. Well, we've only just woken up. Just calm the fuck down. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, 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 there's war on. It must be fucking exhausting being an Autobot.
2: However, you do have the reassurance of knowing what a, what a cracking voice cast you've got yes. on your programme. absolutely. Because... Christ it Almighty, is gold!
1: <laughs> it is.
2: We've got Casey Kasem.
1: Yes, we've got Peter Cullen. I mean, Peter Cullen's best known role is Optimus Prime. Absolutely, but shitload of other stuff as well. We've got Frank Welker. Um, we've got Christopher Collins. A bunch of these are doing like more than one voice at the same time yeah. as well. And you know,
2: yeah, yeah. It's just it's a dream team that are doing voices on this this cartoon. It's mm-hmm. fantastic.
1: It it could only be better if Optimus Prime was voiced by uh, Richard Ward, who did Captain Dolby and the pilot for Starsky and Hutch.
2: Actually, I think you, you nailed on there. <laughs> I think I uh, absolutely nailed on. But, you know,
1: you'd need to understand the dialogue when Prime's just like, You need to go out and stop
0: him. <laughs> you need to go out and belt Megatron in the mouth.
2: <laughs> right? Anyway, the story goes on, and the Jeep one, the Jeep Transformer, gets frigged. Uh Absolutely knacked. I feel sorry for him, me. Because he can't transform. I know. He's stuck like that. Have they got AA membership? Or RAC? (laughs) But they haven't. At At a certain point in here, why did the camera one turn into a camera instead of the binoculars when
1: they want to see across the desert? It's not even that. It's more like, why haven't you... Basically, Soundwave is like, oh, turn into a camera so that I can zoom in using the camera and then get a look yeah. at what's over there right in front of me. And you're like, you're a robot that can turn into a cassette recorder. Have you not got a zoom function? I know they need to have an excuse to show off what they can turn into. I'm fine with that. I get it. But, you know.
2: Things heat up and like, quite literally, one an oil rig.
1: It is the Decepticons' plan. hmm to Like like they've said, to basically just plunder the Earth for its resources. I, l- I fucking love, by the way, that the, the Decepticons are presented as the series Bad Guys on the basis that they want to strip the Earth of all of these resources at the same time as the cartoon is being used to sell toys predominantly made of plastic, which is a product of the coal, gas, and oil industries.
2: Therefore stripping the planet of its yeah, resources. You know, it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: Then we meet the Witwickies, Spike and his old man, working on an oil We meet rape. the who now? The, wi- the, oh, the Witwickies. That's them. They are the acceptable human face <laughs> stripping of stripping a planet's resources. Right. Um, And we see how the Decepticons, the, we see how they're going to create their Energon cubes. Now, you can think of this as Soundwave pulling carrier bags out of his front flap. Right. <laughs> Skywarp turns the taps on, fills them with oil... Then Thundercracker squashes them flat. Starscream just watches this happening, not lifting a finger like the knacker is.
2: Hang on, stop. Thundercracker. Thundercracker. What the fucking hell's going on here? Fucking Thundercracker. Yes. You have to laugh. knack. Thundercracker.
1: Fair play to Hasbro. Skywarp, Thundercracker and Starscream were their very first way of going... We can just do the same toy in three different colour schemes and sell that three times, can't we? Yes, right. yes, Brian, we can do that. Yeah. yeah. They did that a lot with Transformers. Very cheeky, but good old Hasbro. I'm now going to
2: add Thundercracker to my wish list of uh, Transformer figures. Listener, if you want to send me a Thundercracker figure here at Mount Peg <laughs> Towers, please feel free. I want Thundercracker. <laughs> Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Commode and Thundercracker. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's happening.
1: Do you not want trap? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they did used to do this thing of like having, you know, like the three little dude ones that you see one's a camera, one's a fucking pair of binoculars, da, da da They used to keep doing these like little sort of trios. And yeah, you basically need commode, trap, and can. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. That'd be
2: good. That'd be yeah. good. Yeah, be meant. What was <laughs> what kind of vehicle was
1: Trap? <laughs> he was um he was like a Portaloo. <laughs> but but when he's in Portaloo form when you open the door there's like a massive missile launcher inside. <laughs>
2: I'm going to have to go home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Now, listen. So at the end of this, basically, the baddies, they get what they want, (laughs) then destroy the oil drilling platform, basically just to create. Yes. It's at that point that we see that the Decepticons can float in air while they're in robot form. Meanwhile... Hulk and great machines like Optimus Prime and Jazz can stay afloat in water, so I think Earth <laughs> yes. should be fine since physics doesn't matter anymore.
2: That's right. That's right. But I will say, I will say this: uh, yeah, because the, the humans are in trouble, and we see that the, the nice side of the Autobots—they clearly, yeah—they're like, okay, we're going to help you here. Yep. Um. So if it wasn't obvious to the most dim-witted viewer. Uh, it's now reaffirmed that the Autobots are the good guys.
1: Well, yeah, there is this kind of no, we must help the humans. Well, you fucking yeah. brought the trouble here, so that's big ear.
2: Yes. But it's a cracking cliffhanger,
1: that, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. I like it. Yeah, we're well, like 20 minutes, all done. Okay, 55 if you include the adverts.
0: The Transformers will return after these messages. We now return to the Transformers
1: yeah, bang, we're done and you're ready for the next episode. You're hooked by this point. So at the end of it all, how many robotic pegs would you onto the line? Seven out of nine.
2: Had this had a better place in the schedules, I might have been a fan. But no, they buggered this up entirely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's badly animated. The dialogue is appalling. It's really, really cheesy. Um, There's some ridiculous plot holes. But this is a great concept. And it is buckets of fun and drama. This is what you need as an 11-year-old boy. This is cracking for an 11-year-old boy in the 80s. This is, yeah, great stuff, great stuff. I only wish I'd been a part of it.
1: Yourself? (laughs) Um, Well, this particular episode, More Than Meets the Eye, is, yeah, it's clunky in some places. It's presumptuous in others. The script is weighed down like lead and often makes zero sense even in context of itself. But the range of character building for a first episode is exemplary, eight out of nine. But the question on every Decepticon's exhaust pipe
2: (laughs) (laughs) as they trundle around the roads of Cybertron is how many steps will it take you to board the Ark and plummet to earth.
1: Three. The Transformers features the voice of the legendary Peter Cullen, who voiced Optimus Prime on several thousand occasions now, including the live-action Transformers The Last Night, where he sounds rightly embarrassed to be involved in the company of the ever-shame-free... Anthony Hopkins, who used to be a real actor, for example, starring in 84 Charing Cross Road next to... Ian McNeice who was of course in the Monsoon Man arc of the rebooted Tomorrow People with Peggy Mox God bless Mildred
0: I do hope she finds that sparking plug
2: Very good Very good indeed
1: (sighs) And how about yourself how many how many steps would it take you to step outside of the arc and yodel up to the top of the volcano
2: I'm level Peggy at three This outing for the Transformers is brought to life in part via the talents of Casey Kasem, who had a vocal cameo in 2008's Wally e whose headlining robot was voiced by... Ben Burt, who masterminded the shrieks of R2-D2 in the Death Star Trench Run, which was also attended by... William Hootkins, who twirled his moustache in the Monsoon Man arc of that rebooted Tomorrow People with...
0: God bless our dear Miss Milton. Tell her there's still a draft in this room. Lovely.
2: And equally lovely is the first question in this week's competition segment. Oh, yes. The competition is back. We're getting on. We're getting on. Are you filling your list in, even though you're not allowed to enter?
1: Yes. Yes, I am. Yes.
2: I thought you might be playing along, like, you can play Mm -hmm. along at home sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Okay. Do remember... Download the official answer sheet from PeggyMountPod.com. The question is as follows. As previously mentioned, Decepticon Transformer Commode featured briefly in this episode. When he transforms, what does he have nine of? There we go. That's your question. Nice and easy, that one. That's just observation. That's, easy. That's true. Marvellous.
1: Well, I don't know about you, but spelling... Mm. The best part of half an hour watching what is effectively an extended advert has got me in the mood to buy some things. Give me them things.
0: The Transformers will return after these messages. TSB, the bank that likes to say yes. 50cc,
1: TSB. A direct, TSB. RB, LSO, Sol LP, TSB. S-O-S. SOS. TSB. Gas C H. TSB. TSB. From 15 pounds to six
2: foot 3 from ABC to employee. All T-S-S-B. TSB. VIPs. T-S-B. T-S-B. T-S-B.
0: T-S-B. Matchbox announced the nearest thing yet to the thrills of a real-life car chase. Matchbox
1: Racing Chase. It's the only slot car set that lets you U-turn, like real cars. You can jump. You can race. And you can actually control those U-turns. Matchbox Race and Chase, the first car chase that's safe for kids. Who can it be? Perhaps... It's Rich Aunt Annie, who you love to see outside the front door. Or your loving husband who has lost his key outside the front door. Now I wonder who it is it gonna be outside the front door. But stop! On the other hand, could it be that... There's a real con-con man who will take you in outside the front door. Or a mad, bad axe man who is deep in sin outside the
0: front door. So put the chain on the door before you let them in through the front door. So put the chain on the door before you let them in through the front door. See who's there first before you open the door. Put the chain on.
2: The beautiful things. The beautiful things. Lots of merchandise. Soon I should be replete with things. You really shall. There it is again. Can we not be replete of telephone, please? It's Can we not, though?
1: Y- you know. Yeah. <laughs> we, should yes. be, we should be used to it, if anything. Yes. There we go.
0: Hello, this is Sergeant Missfield of the Port Marvinship Police. I'm going to speak to a Mr. Kenneth Pigby in relation to a complaint we've had of suspected criminal damage to a waste receptacle at the Rhett on Lindon Avenue, including possible use of chemical weapons.
1: If you give us a call back at the station, we'd just like to eliminate you from our inquiries, ascertain your whereabouts at certain times, maybe take a DNA swab or two. You can get hold of me on 999. If that number's busy, try 998. Okay, cheery, bye.
2: Yeah, yeah, right, fine, whatever. Absolutely whatever. Shall we just crack on?
1: I'm refusing to touch that phone. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I feel dirty just thinking about
2: it. I feel dirty looking at it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, on to the second prized possession of the evening. Blurred monochrome visuals. A tinny, distorting mic with no bass. A simplistic narrative about the working class. Oh, look! It's a sitcom by ITV in the
1: 1950s. (laughs) The Larkins, not to be confused with The Darling Buds of May or its recent reboot, was a sitcom created by Fred Robinson and produced by Associated Television for the ITV Network, which aired from 1958 to 1964 over six series and 40 episodes. The subject matter is the eponymous Larkins family, headed up by David Kossoff as patriarch Alf and his domineering wife Ada, brought to the screen by none other than Peggy Mount. They live in 66 Sycamore Street with their son Eddie, their daughter Joyce, and her husband Jeff. Domestic squabbles coincide with nosy neighbours and mundane mishaps, and the comedy arises thenceforth. We've watched the very first episode, Wide Open House, first broadcast on Friday the 19th of September 1958 at 10.15 at night. When Ada is planning a party for her son leaving National Service, Alf worries about where the money's coming from to pay for it. Meanwhile, a couple of guests arrive who were not on the invite list.
2: I bet Leonard Parkin was stuttering.
1: Yes, (laughs) yes, having to wrap up to go to this.
2: Do you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> now I've been meaning to watch this for some time. Another Peggy classic. It is that I've I've heard of, but I never actually sought out to to watch. And this was um, this was interesting.
1: Yeah, I'd never seen this before. Mm. Effectively, because by the time I was paying attention to TV in the mid seventies, there was so much new content being created that all the shows like this just weren't needed to bulk out the schedules.
2: I don't even remember this even being repeated at all. You know.
1: 1958, in its full blown glory. It is. So, we got what is effectively another Peggy Mount sitcom and another plodding comedy theme tune. Which is very. you only young twice. I mean, to be fair, this one is probably setting the bar for everything that they came after. You know, I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm not yeah, yeah. calling it plagiarism. But it's very uh, yeah. on brand for what Peggy would go on to be famous for. Completely. Completely. And we.
2: ...are brought into the show with a fourth-wall-shattering introduction.
1: This is bizarre, isn't it? Isn't it? Actually, Actually, it's quite Shakespearean, don't you think? We've got Jeff, the character Jeff, who's like an American GI, living in London, addressing the audience directly and describing the family he's living with. He introduces himself as a writer, and my initial thought is... Is he the writer of the show? Are they framing it like that? But I don't think they are. Right. Unless that, unless that comes out in further sort of episodes. And straight off the back of him giving this intro, obviously he's interrupted by Peggy leaning through the window and shouting at him. Of um, course. We are plunged into this very textbook kitchen sink sitcom. Now, it's undeniably British, thanks to the mannerisms of Peggy Mount.
2: And her penny.
1: Yes. But it feels to me, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels to me like this owes a lot to American shows of the time of the nineteen fifties.
2: Absolutely, it does. It borrows so many conventions yeah. from that. By then, American sitcom had pretty much defined the genre. Right. Limiting location.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Is you know we're filmed on multiple cameras here, but mm-hmm. it's presented in quite long scenes, almost like a stage play.
2: Uh, the reason for that is
1: this was broadcast live. There we go. See, I hadn't looked that up, but I did get that feeling. But yeah, yeah. In which case, fair play to them. They're doing really bloody well. They do. And yeah, I'm watching this thinking about how much Peggy Mount's sort of classic battle-axe performance hadn't really changed over the 20 years between this and you Only Young Twice. And then, of course, mm-hmm. Frank Williams turns up being 100% Frank Williams. It is glorious.
2: It's lovely to see him out of a dog collar.
1: And yeah, he might as well have it on. because. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, uh, but it's unmistakably him, absolutely.
1: So yeah, Frank plays the um, he's the creator of the banner that yeah. Ada has had made for her son coming home from. Again, this is another bit like the fast setup. He's coming home mm-hmm. from national service. Alf does point out he comes home every weekend. Yes, you know he's not he's not away away. But... Ada
2: is the proud mother, and yeah. she's come, she's she's acting as if he's come home from war, having been the the bravest soldier on the battlefield. The ladder routine is charming. It is. It's twee and it's pure vintage music hall.
1: Well, you know what? It's not someone carrying a ladder, so I'm absolutely fine with that. Mm. Had, it, had it been someone walking along with a ladder and doing like the comedy turn, yeah, yeah. that would have been a bit more of a groan, but yeah, I'm absolutely fine for this.
2: We have a little scene in a kitchen um, whereby Ada, Peggy Mount, is making some food yeah, for this little party that they're having for Eddie's return. That kitchen... I thought it was a Nine Inch Nails pop video due to the industrial (laughs) post-apocalyptic background scenery. I mean, that's a typical kitchen in the 50s, but my God, did you see the cooker? Did you see the cooker? It's like a tank.
1: It does look like the set of Seven, yeah.
2: Do you know what I mean? (laughs) My Um,
1: God. Yeah, a lot of this, up until this point, is like extended two-handers. You can tell that the programme is at its most comfortable when it's doing this. However, I think that's also when it's at its most boring.
2: Yeah. The laughs don't run thick and fast here.
1: And the really weird thing is the thing that really threw me. This is almost 40 minutes long. Yes, it is. This went out in a 45-minute slot on ITV. Mm-hmm. Then went fucking around with, like, 22 minutes or padded out to half an hour. Yeah, I no. don't know what was happening with the schedule and then.
2: Uh, it's because um, sitcom was still fighting its feet... And I think this is why they realised that 22 minutes on average would then be enough.
1: I think this would have been tighter, trimmed down to 22, but that's all good, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: I will say something. Mount's performance in this is flawless. Yes. And she does not fuck on when she's making a rock bun. Um, She greases those bacon tins like a ninja. (laughs) And she knows her lines and she hits her mark every time. Yep. Consummate professional
1: Yeah, David Kossoff As Al He's doing well as well it's... Yeah, he is Again, yeah, he is. you get the impression That they are stage performers They're fucking used to this shit That, you know We just we go on We do our job We come off Boom, it's no different That's fine
2: They've done rep Every one of them have done rep And yeah. they've worked hard you know. at it Absolutely, they have Good supporting cast Interesting supporting cast mm-hmm. The character, uh, Harry Is he on Cork? <laughs> Because the man's eyes can stop time itself. What a stare he's got.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe some members of the cast weren't quite useful. <laughs> Used to the kind of, it's live. <laughs> you know, don't say fuck a bugger.
2: <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> the living room set is a kitsch fan's dream.
1: No, I've got something about this. Go on.
2: Well, the wallpaper's magnificent and I'd have that. It is, it is. In that colour. Monochrome. It's fantastic. <laughs> But I also would like, if I, if I did furnish said room, I would also like a metal rod attached to the, the my dressy unit so that it could push a vase off and hit me on the head. <laughs> did you clearly see the metal rod?
1: What I liked about the living room set mm. is that on the wall, behind Peggy at one point...
2: The picture of the woman, yeah.
1: They've got the print of the Chinese girl. It, the, it's painting painter's called Chinese Girl in the living room that's now right. it's absolutely iconic people of our generation think of it as kitchen dated yeah bear in mind Vladimir Trechikov only finished oh. that painting in 1952 at the time the right. show went out that picture was six years old so they're in the fashion that would feel like going round to your grandma's house and she's got a Grayson Perry on the wall absolutely yeah absolutely that's pretty mint
2: it is pretty mint obviously this was first broadcast on ITV yeah there are three parts to this, as you would expect, because with it being almost forty minutes long.
1: Yes, yes. Again, as you say, you would expect two ad breaks in this, wouldn't you?
2: What I struggled with was the length of part two.
1: Well, bear in mind the first the first ad break doesn't happen until mm. nineteen minutes in. That's right. That's halfway through the programme. Yep. Yeah. So you're like, well, how are they how are they going to sign this then?
2: Well, part two is is
1: one scene long. <laughs> it's literally three minutes later. There's another ad break, and you're like, yeah. Were they pissed organising this? Right, right. <laughs> were they just waiting for someone to put the light on at the back? What? Uh-huh. It's one thing if you're waiting for like natural breaks in the script. That's not how it's presented. It's just whenever they can be bothered to go to the adverts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a gentle farce, this. By the time we get to the party happening, in mm-hmm. part three of the show, mm-hmm. we're straying close to actual fast territory. Yeah, we are. Because yeah. at that point, that's when we've got the military police turning up, asking about mm-hmm. their son, Eddie who says he's been demobbed. But, mm-hmm. you know, the MPs are at the door. There's a lot of so opening th- and closing of doors, running out the room, pretending people haven't been seen.
2: People dressing up in disguise. they
1: not having a clue what's actually going on. Oblivious. And, yeah, I really like this. I wish it had happened about ten minutes earlier.
2: Yeah, but it works. It does it indeed, it's just, it just it, it just took a while to get there. I think it takes and far too long
1: to get there, but, yes, it wraps up very nicely. To be fair, the
2: twist, the end, it's all right.
1: Yes, uh, yes, yes. I like, I like that as a yeah that was nice uh, not not a single laugh on the final comedy beat bless them well you know I think they're all getting the, they're all getting their coats on by that point
2: <laughs> they were I just feel that they the cast had put so much effort into this and yeah. it was live and it was going out on TV that when he he's on the phone and that that final beat happens there's just no reaction it's mm. it's just like and I think oh okay because that, you really hope, you know the writer's sitting there waiting. Yes. For that big moment to and then queue into credits, but no, it doesn't happen, but okay. So that aside, that aside, blackout, how many pegs are you going to place on Peggy
1: Mount's Penny? Well, I like how full on this is for a first episode, mm-hmm. but I do also think that's its weakness. It's trying to spin too many plates at the expense of character. The Larkins feels like a format being workshopped in front of your eyes. Mistakes and all. Mm -hmm. I admire that, but frankly, Peggy saves this. Six out of nine. Fair. How about yourself?
2: It's a snapshot of an era. A pioneering era in terms Mm -hmm. of TV sitcom. And it's these recently discovered visual and comedy techniques that paved the way for what we know as sitcom format today. Mm -hmm. We have a lot to thank this and its ilk for... And peg
1: is in it. Eight pegs. Fair. I think so. And of course, there's no steps up the mountain, because we're already there, aren't we? We are already there. We're already there. Peck, 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 peck,
2: Ah. Yeah. It's time for the question, Blackout. It's time for the question. Nice. OK. So, your question is this. During the evening of the party, guest of honour Eddie is wearing something over his army uniform. Is it A, a tabard... B, a penny, or C, a smog. A, a tabard, B, a penny, or C, a smog. There we go. It's easy enough, right? It certainly should be. Well, we we've got to throw a few easy ones in there. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I'm just off to order the new Mooncat and Co. Abattoir playset from Palatoy. In the meantime, Blackout's got his socials.
1: Yes, thanks once again for dropping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email peggymanpod at gmail.com or we are peggymanpod on Twitter, Facebook, and the Instagram. Five star ratings and kindly reviews are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to us and can do so. Don't forget to go to peggymanpod.com. Check out the show notes for this and for all of our other episodes.
2: It's as simple as that. It really, really is. Right, Blackout and I are going to transform ourselves into some fast vehicles. <laughs> Because they're still open and we can just make last orders. Until next week,
1: keep pegging! The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit peggymountpod.com. Since you mention it, I want a transformer called Mount. Oh, yes. Who's basically Peggy Mount, but also she transforms into a penny a, <laughs> p- a, p- a penny with a stepladder.